Now this, uh, this message is called on Unlikely Faith Heroes. It comes from Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, there's a slide there, Elvin, if you want to put on uh, Unlikely Heroes. Now, there's a list of people that we have been working through in Hebrews chapter 11. It started uh, with, with Noah and, and with Abel and with some of the, the, the older uh, patriarchs, they call them. Uh, we went through Abraham and Moses. But then we got to this section uh, in verse 32 that we were looking at last week. In verse 32, where the preacher of Hebrews actually says, like, I don't really have time to tell you about these guys, he says in, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. I don't have time to tell you about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Japheth and David and Samuel and the prophets. I I don't have time. And I said, oh, what we're going to stop and take some time. And the reason we're going to stop and take some time is that those names aren't all that familiar to all of you. Some of them maybe. You've heard of David, King David. He gets a lot of press uh, in the Christian church. But some of the others don't so much. And I wanted to encourage you by just taking a deep dive into Gideon. So we looked at part one of Gideon last week. Today we'll do part two. What we'll do is do a little review for you. Um, but I wanted to, before we get into that, I want to just talk to you about you. All right? Just for a moment, because I want you to be able to relate here. Sometimes the people in the Bible, because we call them faith heroes, right? They become bigger than life. They become these people that we think lived perfect lives and did everything well and always pleased God. And so God then used them and chose them to do amazing things for him. I'm going to tell you, God chooses broken people. God chooses even disobedient people and calls them out and changes them and then uses them for his purposes. So if you feel like somehow you're not qualified to serve God, you're dead wrong. You're wrong. You're qualified because it's not about you. It's about God in you, God using you, and God being able to change you and transform you into someone that he can use. And so Gideon is a great example of that, but I just want to uh, give you a little bit of a, 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 an insight into each of these names. Gideon was not a perfect man. He was involved in uh, worshiping idols. In fact, if you read through Judges chapter 6, 7, and 8, you realize that at at the end of 8, it ends sadly. He went back to worshiping idols. So God used him at a certain time in his life, and then in in his old age or in his his, uh, pride or in whatever, he ended up falling away from God. Has a sad ending. But God still lists him in this hall of fame of people with faith because he was willing and able to walk into the fullness of God's purpose for him for that period of life. And God used him then to deliver his people. We have Samson. Some of you are more familiar with the story of Samson because Samson's the guy with all that strength. But you also know the story of Samson because Samson's the guy with all that lust and all that adultery and all that unfaithfulness. But God still used him. God was still able to find a way to work with that man, with all his flaws, and to bring about something great that God wanted. Uh, If you read uh, in in Judges, you'll read about this uh, Japheth. And he, he followed God to a point, but he then made this crazy deal 
with himself. He made a vow that he said, you know, if you give me victory, God, the first person, the first thing that I see that comes out of the door of my house, I'm going to sacrifice to you. Now, this was not God's will. This was this man trying to conjure up some kind of way to repay God for his, his, his victory. Well, the person who came out of his door, if you read that in, in Judges, was his only daughter. He only had one child. And the man ended up having to, of his own volition, sacrifice his daughter. We know of David, King David, and his adultery with Bathsheba. So I'm bringing these things up to you because I want you to know that no matter how bad you've been, no matter what sins you've committed, God is greater and able to redeem you, to bring you from there into something amazing. Something that only God could do. Something that only God could dream up and, and, and be able to fulfill through someone like you and like me. Too often we separate ourselves from these Bible people and say, well, they were special. They lived in a special time period. They had special gifts and abilities or whatever. You're just as special to God. You have just as much potential and purpose in God's plans And nothing that you've done or nothing that's been done to you disqualifies you. So we're going to look some more at at, uh, Gideon this morning. So you're going to have to turn to to Judges. So we'll go from Hebrews chapter 11 back to Judges, Judges chapter 6. And I want to run through something that I think is very important. I want to, first of all, we'll just go through the slides, Alvin, that we had from last week. Um, I want you to see, like we've mentioned last week, that God sees the potential when we see the problems, right? We tend to focus on the problems and the obstacles in life, but God sees some potential in you that you don't even see. Often he uses others to try to encourage you, give you feedback, give you insight into your gifts and abilities, because often we're, we're, again, disqualifying ourselves, We're not good enough, or we're not as good as. And so then we think, well, God's going to pass over me. But God sees your potential. We read that he said that he sent an angel, the angel of the Lord, and the angel of the Lord addressed Gideon as a mighty warrior while Gideon was still fearful and hiding from his enemies down in that wine press. So the next slide says, you know, you're a mighty warrior because God is with you. You're weak, but God is strong, and so he gives you the strength for the battle. We also see in the next slide that they were suffering because of their disobedience. In Judges chapter 6, we we looked at this last week, but they were worshiping idols, which they had been warned not to worship. If you go back and you read the book of Judges, in chapter 2, God made a covenant with Abraham, and God said, I'm going to fulfill my covenant. I'll be faithful to my covenant, but if you go... And you begin to worship the gods and goddesses of the people around you, the nations around you, you'll lose my blessing. And your enemies will come in and they'll wreak havoc in your lives. And that's exactly what was taking place here. And so we have this, uh, this suffering that's taking place because of their disobedience. And the challenge of that for us as believers is to make sure that we're walking in God's purposes, walking in God's in, in the life that God has given us, the light, as Tanya was shining, of God's word on our lives so that we walk in that obedience so we don't have to suffer. The next thing is that, uh, the next slide was that when we know that truth, the truth that God is with us, the truth that it's God's strength, not our strength, that actually inspires us to step out in faith. 
We're not stepping out in faith in ourselves. We're stepping out in faith in God, in what God can do, right? And we talked about that last week, that faith is a result of hearing God's word and believing in his promises. And it's really about who he is way more than it's about who we are. So we got to this next slide, which is the five acts of fear, right? I wanted you to see this, and, and hopefully you read through a couple of these chapters this week in Judges 6, 7, and 8. But Gideon was like us. And Gideon was like those, was it 22,000 that, that Aaron read about in, in the passage? 22,000, when, when, when Gideon said, God instructed him to say to his army, any of you who are afraid of fighting, you can go home. 22,000 of them went home. That's a lot of people. There were only 32,000. So, you know, two out, of the, two out of the three went home because they were afraid. So fear was the number one motivator in their history, in their lives, in their, their situation there in Israel because of what the Midianites had done to them and other enemies. They lived in fear. And most people were living in fear. So it wasn't like, you know, two out of three were living in faith. Only one out of those three stayed. So then he was down to that, that smaller number. But Gideon, as an example, or as an individual that we get to look at his life and see how God worked through it, he was fearful when he hid in the wine press because he didn't want to get caught by the Midianites and he didn't want to have them steal his food. He was afraid, if you look at, um, if, if you've got your Bibles open now, I put some Bibles in the pews, so if you want to touch them, you can. <laughs> and you can open up and see this yourself, but it, or you can look on your phone or your own Bible that you brought. But in, in chapter 6, I want you to see that his fear wasn't just uh, against his enemies, he was actually afraid of meeting God. What happens in this exposure to God as God sends his angel in chapter 6 and as his angel begins to have this conversation with him and begins to tell him, you're a mighty warrior and I'm going to send you to save Israel and, 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 and I want you to, to walk in that strength, the strength that I give you. He finally, halfway through chapter 6, has the revelation. The person he's talking to, the angel of the Lord, is the Lord himself. And when he realizes that in 6 verse 22, when Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, which is the name of the Lord in this passage, he exclaimed or yelled, ah, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Now, he wasn't saying that because he was excited. He was saying that because he was afraid. Because if you see God, the, 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 the idea is that if you see God, you'll die, right? Because people who are unholy can't look into the face of a holy God, right? So he was in fear for his life. That's why verse 23 says, but the Lord said to him, peace. Do not be afraid. You are not going to die. So not only was Gideon afraid of his enemies, he then was afraid of his face-in-face -face encounter with God. Some of us are afraid to encounter God as well. We know we're sinners. And so we fear God drawing too close and seeing our yuckiness. And we imagine that he'll be upset or disgusted or angry at us. 
But we forget the power of the cross. The cross has set us free from that fear. So that song earlier when we sang, free, free, forever I'm free. The freedom comes by knowing God's grace through Jesus Christ for us as New Testament believers. In this case, God's grace was upon Gideon because God has called Gideon to do something for him. And so he's covering him. He's got him covered. He's going to use him to bring about a deliverance, just like he used Moses to deliver his people from slavery. He's going to use Gideon to deliver his people from their enemies. And so God speaks peace. When we struggle with fear, we need to hear God say, peace. Be at peace. Not because you don't have real enemies. Not because there isn't a battle out ahead that you need to go fight. But be at peace because I am with you. I am here with you. God's presence brings peace. God's presence brings peace into Gideon's life. And then Gideon is able to begin to process his relationship with God. But he was afraid. He also was afraid, even when God sent him, after this moment, God says, I want you to go and I want you to destroy the altars that are in your father's house. He lived in a communal home. I want you to destroy those. He, he wouldn't do it when everyone was awake in the house. We talked about this last week. He did it when they were asleep. He did it because he was afraid they'd catch him and stop him. And they did catch him, and they got real angry with him. And if you read the end of chapter uh, 6, you realize that. They were real angry, and they they said, you know, Baal is going to get you, and, and all this kind of stuff. What I want you to see as you read through these three chapters is Gideon is in a process of change. He's going from being very afraid, feeling very weak, feeling very alone, to taking these steps with God. As God reveals himself a little bit more to Gideon, Gideon gets a little bit more courage to step out in faith and to do what God asks him to do. So God asked him to destroy these altars because God's whole reason for allowing the enemy into that area into, of their lives and to cause such wreak uh, such havoc on their lives was because they were worshiping uh, false gods, which he had warned them about. So he couldn't leave those false gods in place and then bless them with victory over their enemies. Those false gods had to be cleansed. They had to be destroyed. This is the act of repentance that Aaron talked about around communion this morning. That There's a repentance that needs to take place. We can't expect God to go win battles for us and expect God to pour out his blessings on us when we are not even facing God, when we are in the opposite direction doing the opposite thing that he's asked us to do. It doesn't make sense that we ask him for blessing and then at the same time we spit in his face. God wants us to come to him in repentance. Even when Gideon did that, and as he walked in that victory, and as he built an altar to the Lord, an appropriate one to the Lord, he still had fear. Even though God was speaking to him, and in verse 34 of chapter 6, it says, then the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. So now, now not only was God there speaking like this angel to him, 
having this conversation with him, building him up, helping him to know who he was and what he was all about and what his purpose was. But God also sent his spirit on Gideon. He did this with the judges. He did this with the kings as well throughout the Old Testament. The spirit of God is key to having courage. But notice, Gideon isn't instantly transformed. Even when the spirit of God comes into your life, you are not instantly transformed to perfection. Oh, I wish that was true. Wouldn't life be grand if that were true? But there's still a growth process that needs to take place. And so this is after the spirit of God has come upon Gideon. It says he blew a trumpet. He summoned all the people to come and follow him. And he sent messengers out and said, okay, we're going to go and we're going to do this thing. We're going to get rid of these enemies. We're going to, you know, because now God has inspired him. Look at verse 36. If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have promised, verse 37, look, God, I'm going to put a piece of wool out there on that threshing floor. And if there's dew only on the fleece and all the ground around it is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, just as you have said. So he's still not convinced. He needs a little convincing. So God actually does that. He makes that happen. He gives that little miracle. It says, Gideon rose up early the next day, and he squeezed the fleece, and he wrung out the water, and there was a whole bowl full of water in that fleece, but the land all around it was dry. Seems convincing. Seems like now Gideon could walk in confidence and faith, except that's still not enough for Gideon. Verse 39. So then Gideon said to God, now listen, don't be angry with me. Let me make just one more request to you. Allow me just one more test with this fleece. This time, make the fleece dry and the ground around it all wet with dew. So that night, God did so. And only the fleece was dry and all the ground around it was covered with dew. Now, we're not to test God this way, but this is an example of how we need to be encouraged and to grow and to become more confident in God. And God didn't strike Gideon dead. God didn't make his enemies come and destroy Gideon and all the people. God was patient with him. God showed compassion on him. God knows that we are weak. We're human. We have frailties. We have insecurities. We have problems. God knows all that. And when we come to him, which Gideon was conversing with God, he was having this relationship with God, which is amazing. He's having his doubts. He's needing to be reassured again. God is not upset. This is a good lesson for us. Because sometimes when we feel weak, we want to hide from God. That's part of our sin nature. When Adam and Eve fell, they ran and hid from God. They did something wrong. They knew it was wrong. Their consciences got to them. They ran and hid from God. Gideon has stopped hiding from God, but he's negotiating with God. He's like Moses. Remember when Moses was called to go back to Egypt? 
And he said, okay, now Moses, I'm going to send you and we're going to rescue all the Israelites from, from, from Pharaoh. We're going to, and Moses said, I, 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 I can't do that. I, I need help. I, I, I'm not able. I, I don't talk really well. I can't go before. You know, he had all these fears and insecurities that came up. Our fears and insecurities are there because we are broken. We are sinners. We are flesh and blood. We have made many wrong choices, and those wrong choices would love to control our lives. But we are to give our lives to God and not let those things control us. We're to put our faith in God and not in ourselves. You think that the fleece and then the other fleece, as well as the fire, which is back in, ch- in chapter 6, the fire that came and baked the bread and did all that, you think that that was enough. Plus, he's got the angel of the Lord, the Lord himself, speaking to him, having this conversation with him. You think that that was enough. I think it might be enough for me. I don't know. It might be enough for you. Still not enough. Then God does this whole thing where he just pulls, pulls, pulls all the men away from him, except for the tiny 300. And he then sends them out with a torch and a jar to battle this 135,000 member army. It's crazy. So God knows our hearts. He knows our weaknesses. If you read through chapter 7, get to verse 10. I want you to hear the Lord. The Lord says, Gideon, get up. Gideon's sleeping. Gideon, wake up. Get up and go down to the camp. Now, this is the camp of the enemy. The one, because I'm going to give it into your hands, right? So God, again, is reassuring him. I'm going to do this. I'm going to win this victory for you. I'm going to bring about deliverance for my people. Verse 10, can you read it? If you are afraid, (laughs) God knows us. If you're still afraid, it should say, if you're still afraid, you know, after I've given you all these encouragements, I've spoken to you, I've told you what's going to happen. If you are afraid to attack Go down to the camp with your servant and listen to what they're saying. So he had to get pretty close to hear what the enemy was saying. I don't know. It's dark. You know, he can sneak through the bushes or whatever and get close. Listen to what they're saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. God loves to encourage us. He gave us his word to encourage us. He gave us his church to encourage us. He gave us Christian worship music to encourage us. He gave us prayer to encourage us. God loves to encourage us because we're scared. Life is scary. Bad things happen. We get frightened by that and we forget God. The biggest factor in the whole existence of the universe is God himself. And somehow he gets pushed to the back of the room. And something else takes center stage. Oh, the cancer. Oh, the economy. Oh, the divorce. Oh, my children. Oh, you know, and the big, big, big scary enemy takes over our mind and our emotions and our heart and our feelings and our actions. When God himself is encouraging us by his grace and mercy and understanding towards us. He knows we're weak, so he keeps encouraging us. 
He keeps reminding us who we are in Christ, what a great future we have in Christ, how victorious he has already been through Christ on the cross, how every sin that you've ever committed is washed away as white as snow, and he doesn't even remember them. He chooses not to remember them. It's to give us courage because we are scaredy cats. Now, some of you, you hide it real well. You're big and strong and, you know, competent. You're still a scaredy cat. All I got to do is give you one little doctor's report, one little bank account problem or whatever, and all of a sudden you're a big old scaredy cat. Don't lie. You know it's true. We have a great God who knows that about us and knew this about Gideon. And even though he'd given sign after sign, encouragement after encouragement, word after word to this poor fellow Gideon, he still has to say to him in chapter 7, verse 10, if you are afraid, go down to the camp. And then the cool thing about what happens in the camp is that the enemy themselves, right? There's these enemies there and they're in their camp and they're getting ready to kill off these people. It says the valley was as thick as locusts with the enemy. Their camels were so many that they couldn't even count. They were more than the sand of the seashore. This is like a big enemy, the biggest problem you could ever have times a million, right? This is a big problem. Gideon arrives there, it says in verse 13, Just as a man happened to be telling a story to his friend about a dream he had. He says, I had this dream. It was about a round loaf of barley bread coming tumbling down into the Midianite camp. And it struck the tent with such a force that the tent was overturned and collapsed. He must have been hungry when he went to bed because he was dreaming about bread. But the bread became like big and it, it, it collapsed the whole tent. His friend responded, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joas, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into Gideon's hands. This is the enemy saying this. This is, this is amazing. And God has Gideon there just at the right time to hear this right little response, this right response from this guy about this dream. And then it says in verse 15, when Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped God. He finally <laughs> relented. He worshiped God. He surrendered himself to God. He, he returned to the camp and he said to everybody, get up. The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. And he divided the 300 men up. They went out with their torches and their empty jars to fight this gigantic enemy. And God does this amazing thing in verse 22. When the 300 used their trumpets to make a sound, the Lord caused the men throughout the entire camp to turn on each other with their swords and the army fled before them. And it goes on, and Gideon chased them and chased them, and, and you get through chapter, chapter 8 if you continue to read. God showed up in a mighty way, even though Gideon was scared like a scaredy cat. Isn't that awesome? So when we're scared, who do we turn to? We should turn to God. We should turn to him in prayer. We should turn to him in honesty. We should reveal our hearts to him. He knows it anyway. He says, now Wendy, 
if you're afraid, just come to me. Just listen. Just read my word. John, if you're afraid, just, just listen. Just understand that I'm with you. I'm here. I'm way bigger than your biggest enemy. I'm way more powerful than the biggest power. And the great thing is, and, and, and let's go to the next slide, Ivan. The, 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 the next slide tells us that Gideon actually changed. You know, we, we sometimes say like, well, why would God choose Gideon? Why didn't God choose somebody else at that moment? I don't know. God chose him. He was a big old scaredy cat, but God chose him anyway. But here's the thing. God knows the end from the beginning. So Gideon himself said, I'm just this little, weak, pathetic person. But this little, weak, pathetic person started to trust in God. And then he started to obey God. Yes, he still wanted to be certain that this was God and this was God's plan. And that's okay. God wasn't upset with him. But then he began to grow in God. He began to grow and believe that God said it. So it must be true. And I can trust it and put my faith in him. And he became way more God-focused than he was Gideon-focused. And this is key for us. We're way too focused on ourselves, our own sins, our own problems, our own weaknesses, and way too not focused, I guess, way too distracted from our great God and God's word to us. And in the end, God shows that God is right. From the very beginning, the first thing that was ever said to Gideon was, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. If you read through chapter 8, the Lord was with him. Everywhere he went, he became a mighty warrior. And some of you kids who like all those violent video games and stuff like that, you should read the Bible sometimes. It gets a little violent there in the end. He asked someone to do away with someone, and they said, no, you do it. And so he goes up, and there goes the sword, and there goes that person, right? So there's some, some real judgment that takes place in the Bible. But God made him into a mighty warrior, someone to be feared. So I guess my message is that nobody's perfect except for God. And he chooses imperfect people with lots of problems and weaknesses But if we will trust, obey, grow, believe, focus on God, you and me also can be mighty warriors for him. Our enemies are nothing compared to our God. We can stand bold in God's strength. Now, here's where I want to end here. Because... It's about the presence of God. This whole story isn't so much about Gideon as it is about God. God said in Judges chapter 2, I will not break my covenant with Israel. I will be faithful to my promises. And then throughout their history, God continues to rescue them, continues to bring them back to himself because they continue to wander. But God is faithful and God continues to find a remnant of people who will put their faith in God, who will walk with him and he will pour his spirit into their lives and use them on the face of this earth. It's happened all through history. The church is alive in the spirit. God has a purpose for us to exist 
on this earth. And he wants us to fulfill it. No matter how weak, how pathetic we feel, it's all about God and his purposes. If you remember, the presence of God couldn't reside with people all the time because of his holiness. But now that the cross has come, he sent his spirit, his presence, to be with us always. So the temple or the tabernacle where there was a holy of holies where only you could enter by blood, you know, remember Hebrews, by the blood sprinkled on you. Once a year, a high priest could go in there and and be face to face with God or at least partially in the same space. That's all changed now. Because of Pentecost, because the Holy Spirit was poured out on God's people, we become the living dwelling place for God. What happens is we still don't focus on God. We keep focusing on ourselves. We keep focusing on our brokenness. We keep focusing on our past. And we forget about our future. And we forget about what all God's promises. And so we end up getting confused and not doing what God asked us to do. But the presence of God is sent to you and to me to encourage us to see our value. Because we're not worthless. Or Jesus wouldn't have died for us. God loves us. And find some value in us, even when we can't find it in ourselves. But the presence of God isn't just there to encourage you and pat your head and pat your back and say, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. Sometimes that's what we need for a while. But it's also there to empower you. To empower you, to help you to have strength that's not your own strength. To be able to walk in this life against all odds. So the spirit of God is given to us because of God's grace through Jesus Christ and it's given to us to encourage us to know that we are valued to God and then to empower us to move forward when God instructs us to, to keep growing in God, to keep being bold when he asks us to be bold, to keep going to him and having conversations with him about real stuff. He doesn't want us to be fake. See, you are and I am the dwelling place for God on the earth today. There isn't a temple somewhere with the Holy of Holies in it where God resides. It's you. It's me. And somehow we disqualify ourselves from the great things that God wants to do in and through us on the earth today. The presence of God should give us the courage and the significance to walk in God's promises, to be who God asks us to be. Put up the next slide for me, will you? Gideon's courage came from the significant encounter with the person and promise of God. He didn't make it up. It wasn't from himself. He was minding his own business trying to get some wheat down there. The presence of God was a significant encounter for him. He wasn't even looking for God. God came looking for him. I love that part of God. He doesn't wait for us sometimes. The next slide says, until we encounter the presence and promise of the living God, we will struggle to live by faith. Have you encountered God? Do you encounter him on a regular basis? Because it's not a one-time thing. Like, oh yeah, you know, 25 years ago I met God. And what have you done the last 25 years? Not much. Okay, then, then you encountered him 
and then ignored him, encountered him and somehow lost him, you know, stopped paying attention to him. It's a significant encounter. If you read through these three, three chapters in Judges, you'll see that God and Gideon continue to journey on and continue to have a conversation. It's not a one-time, once-and-done thing. This is sometimes the problem in the church is we think, well, I had that one encounter with God. Now I'm a Christian. I guess I wait now until Jesus comes back. But there's significant stuff to still be done for the kingdom of God. People who still need to be rescued, people who still need to be saved. And he calls us into that battle. And it's not always easy. And sometimes we get scared. But God is with us. And God wants to use us to encounter that. I want us to just end with a significant time to sort of process through this and ask yourself, Are you encountering the presence of God in the promises of God on a regular basis in your life? Maybe it's not every day because maybe your life is a little crazy. You know, you've got 10 kids at home and they're all screaming for, you know, cereal or something like that. You're busy. But on a regular basis, whatever regular basis is for you and for God, Are you getting into the presence of God however you do that? Usually it's by reading God's word, meditating on his word. Sometimes it's through singing God's word, remembering his faithfulness and promises. Are you taking time to do that? Because if you look at your life of faith and you think, I haven't done much for God in decades, God's at work in the world today. God's desire is to use us in that work. But if we're not spending time with him, if we're not being reminded of his promises and his goodness on a regular basis and living in that boldness and courage that that brings, then we end up falling away. We end up going asleep. We end up forgetting that God's got a purpose for you and for me. I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to ask you to stand up as I pray. God, we just thank you for your word, and we thank you for the courage that we see developed in someone like Gideon. We're glad that he's not a perfect person, because we know that we're not either. And we just pray that you would help us to be encouraged this morning to draw close to you, to get into your presence, and allow you to speak into our lives. Because, Lord, we're not just here wasting time. We're here for a purpose and a plan that you have created a long time ago before we were even born. So be with us here in this moment. And as we go from here this morning, help us to seek you out and find you on a regular basis so you can speak into our lives as you did with our brother Gideon. In Christ we pray. Amen.